Romans chapter number 10, verse number 9, the Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, most kind, gracious Heavenly Father, we love you so much, Lord. We thank you for your many blessings, your goodness, your kindness, your grace. Thank you for, Lord, that we can bring our prayer requests to you. Thank you for the testimony, God, of, of your working, your hand, your grace. And God, we thank you, Lord, for a God who, being a God who is worthy of our allegiance, worthy of our obedience. And I pray tonight, God, for a little while you would hide me behind the cross, God, and help me say the things that I need to say and how I need to say them. And I pray tonight, God, you'd give the listener ears to hear the message. And God, I pray, Lord, you'd speak through me. Lord, I pray we wouldn't leave this place uh, talking about the, the message or the preacher, but Lord, we leave talking about our Lord. And God, I pray you'd speak through your word. God, do what only you can do. Please don't leave me to myself. I love you, Lord, and I thank you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You might be seated. I prefaced a moment ago that I wanted to get right to the preaching service tonight uh, because this is a message. I, I don't want it to be a two-part message. I just want to jump right into it and cover it all. And I'll just go ahead and say, make another preface to the message. Uh, this may be one of the most scattered messages I've ever preached. I'm just being honest with you. And, uh, but this is kind of the way it worked out. I'll say a few things by way of introduction. We'll jump right into it tonight. I'm just going to bear my heart by way of introduction, if you don't mind. I've never experienced such trepidation in preparing a message. Shaking. I'm talking about my brother called me today, and he said, I can't wait to hear the message. You're getting into the thick part of Romans 10. I said, yeah. So pray for me. I said, I might throw up. So I feel sick. What the Lord has prepared for us to cover will more than likely be controversial. But this is absolutely not my intention. If I could get out of this message or bypass this text altogether, I would. Preachers can rightly take pride in rightly dividing the Word of God. Doing His Word justice and preaching it accurately, that should make a preacher proud. But this does not mean that preachers never experience dread in doing so. You say, Brother Jacob, what are you talking about? When you preach the gospel, that if I give you a good example, when you preach the gospel that if you die without Christ, you die and go to a devil's hell, and you're standing over the casket of someone who is more than likely burning and torment, yes, that is dread. Uh, what we're looking at tonight is is not the same degree, but it is something tonight that I have experienced so much dread. And I'll be honest with you, I, I wish I didn't have to preach this message, but at the same time, I wish I could make every person in the world listen to this message. Not because it's great, but I think there's a lot of people who miss the message of God, and they do so according to tradition. I'll make one more statement, and we'll jump into the text. Please listen to the entire message. Please. Listen to it all. And actively cling to what God's Word actually says, and not what many claim that it says. Better all right? If I could give a title tonight, the message would be called Clarity on Conversion or 
sound salvation. I don't know what you call it. You pick which title you like and you write that down if you take notes. I originally thought when preaching this message, I wouldn't have any, any points. I just have a lot of thoughts. Uh, but I'm going to give you two points for those that take notes. There's two points I'll give them to you quickly and we'll jump right into the thoughts and where we'll drive it home tonight. Point number one is this. Believing results in salvation. Believing results in salvation. That's what we see in these verses. Uh, belief is the producer of salvation. So believing results in salvation. Number two, what we'll see in these three verses tonight, we see confessing results from salvation. Belief is the producer. Confession is a product. So I'm going to jump right into it. I got two points. I gave you a title. And I got a whole lot of things to say about these two points. So let's, let's go through them fast. I'll try to say them fast. Hopefully you can listen to them fast and we won't be here till midnight. And uh, y'all pray for me. I uh, said a moment ago, say it again. This is not going to be pretty. It's not going to be polished. It's not going to be the most organized message. But I'm going to give you the truth the way God gave it to me. Start by saying this. Some of what is addressed in these verses should be classified as products of salvation. Not producers of salvation. I mentioned a little bit of that last week uh, in when we talked in verse number five about good works. Good works are a product of salvation. They are not the producer of salvation. The products of salvation, please don't miss this, the products of salvation mean nothing unless they are preceded by saving faith. There are people who cling to a dress standard and a, a, a code of morality. They cling to a lot of spiritual things. But Brother George, those things are not founded uh, in, they're not founded in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not founded in the Word of God. And therefore, they mean nothing. The products of salvation mean nothing unless they are preceded by saving faith. According to verse 4 of this very chapter, and according to verse 10 of our text, belief results in having the righteousness of God. Do you all see that in verse 10? For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Do we all see that? Say amen. amen. People certainly teach this, but saying words do not make you saved. Yes, sir. Come on. However, being saved will make you say words. Yes. I'm, when I'm preaching out, it's faith, then words, not words, then faith. Right. The same can be said about prayer, holy living, and good works. Holy living doesn't make you saved, but if you get saved, you will live holy. Uh, praise God. Uh, good works don't save you, but if you do get saved, you will follow in the order of doing good works. I will say, we're looking at it tonight. They do not make you saved, but, once, uh, but they will follow once you are saved. Let's look at the text. I'm going to read verse 9 and 10, pick up there. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Look at verse 10. For with a heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, verse 9 makes a statement. And then verse 10 makes the same statement, but it does it in reverse order. Now see that? Verse 9 mentions the, the mouth, then the heart. Verse 10 mentions the heart, then the mouth. Y'all see that? So in verse 9, mouth, then heart. Verse 10, heart, then mouth. 
Verse 9 mentions confess and believe. Verse 10 mentions belief and then confession. Y'all see that in the Word of God tonight? Same statement in backwards order. I tried to go through a lot of books today, but I really I didn't make it very far. I just read three, and I really just relied on the thoughts God had given me, not the thoughts God had given other men. But I did find one quote today that really helped me because I went through, and I wish y'all could see it. I should have brought my notes. I just wrote down, I had four pages of scribbled notes, writing on the margins and drawing arrows and stuff and starring here and starring there. And I just went through, Brother Bill, and said, what, where does this go in the flow, if you will? And I just went through and wrote these or typed these things out slowly. Uh, but I, I did find one quote that helped me because there was one part that I wrote down that I did notice that verse 9 and verse 10 are in opposite order. Because I, I've always been a persuasion. The Bible teaches it, it, it's faith, it's faith, it's faith. But verse 9 puts confess, then belief. But verse 10 puts belief, then confess. And I said, well, there's, there's something to that I just didn't know what it was. And I did find one good quote that I'd like to share. John Phillips said, there is a change in the order of heart and mouth here. Because in verse 9, Paul is following Moses' order. I said, Moses' order? What is he talking about? Well, he's following verse 8. Because verse 8 mentions that even in thy mouth and in thy heart. So he's following the order of Moses as described in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse number 14. So verse 9 is, is giving the statements in Moses' order. Mouth, heart. But... In verse 10, he gives, the, he gives it in the order of experience. I'll say some more time. You can confess a whole lot of things, but if they are not in your heart, they mean nothing. You can say, I love you, but inside hate somebody. You can call somebody Lord with your mouth and hate them in your heart. The order of experience. What, what is that, Brother Jacob? I believe confession will come, but I don't believe it proceeds. It comes before faith. I believe it comes after faith. Faith first. Believing comes before confessing. Confessing is not a legalistic requirement. It is not something, and people like to look at verse 9 and 10 this way, it is not something which must be done in order to be saved. It is the natural consequence of true faith. Listen, just, just as well as we can say wearing nice, uh, church clothes and uh, living a sober, clean life doesn't get you to heaven, neither does saying the name of Jesus. It's faith, it's faith, it's faith. You're all right. Confession follows or is a result of faith, just as calling on the name of the Lord follows or is a result of faith. Again, both mean nothing if they are not preceded by faith which equals attaining or receiving righteousness according to Romans 9.30, which means being saved. I, can't, I didn't add this note, the Lord just reminded me of it. If God told us through the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter number 9 that you get saved by faith, he cannot come back in chapter number 10 and tell us it's anything other than faith in chapter number 10. Would you all agree with me tonight? If God said one thing in chapter number 9 and a different thing in chapter number 10, we got a big problem there, Sister Judy. What is confession? Confess, according to the 1828 Dictionary, there's like 10 definitions that the 1828 gives, and all of them start with these two words, to own. To own. What does it mean in context of this verse? Well, I really believe it's meaning you claim Him as your Savior. That's what I believe. 
In the Old Testament, confess sounds like this. You look it up, you look up the word confess, you look in the Old Testament, and everywhere you look at the word confess, it's about sin, transgression, sin, transgression. So in the Old Testament, confess sounds like this. I've sinned. In the New Testament, confess sounds like this. He's Christ. You'll see the difference there. In the Old Testament, it's about sin, sin, sin. But confess in the New Testament, predominantly, he's Christ. Now, there are a few few, examples. uh, exceptions of that for First uh, John one nine. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, but predominantly, uh, specifically, when we look in the New Testament word confess, it sounds like this: He is Christ. Matthew, I'm gonna read. If, I'm gonna read some verses. I got to read them faster. We'll be here all late tonight. Matthew ten thirty two through thirty three says this: Whosoever therefore shall confess me. Before men, well, him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. I like this verse of Philippians 2, chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Y'all follow me? We could go on and on and on looking at these verses. I had about uh, eight different ones uh, typed up, but I, I figured y'all didn't need it. When you look in the uh, New Testament, when you see confess, it is about identifying Jesus as the Savior, as Messiah, as Lord, as God. That's the problem of the Pharisees. They would not confess that he was Lord. They would not recognize that he is Lord. And I think one thing we'll find out, Brother George, about salvation, when we talk about faith, it's about recognizing him as Lord. I know I'm in a different gear tonight. But when I said trepidation, I meant trepidation. Is a plan of salvation that requires anything but faith congruent with the rest of the Bible? No, it's not. And I I, I, I got to preach along these lines next week. I'll just go and spoil it for you next week. I'm going to lean heavily on prophecy because uh, the preceding verse or the next verses in these uh, this this chapter they have to do with Joel chapter two verse thirty two. So I will focus in on that next week. But tonight uh, I, I'm just going to focus in on, on the primary primary reality that's in the text tonight. But just looking ahead. You wouldn't believe how many people that I read after today, just skimming ahead, Brother Georgia said, they give you a part of a verse and they say, oh, well, that means faith in Jesus Christ. Does it mean, does it say faith in Jesus Christ, belief in Jesus Christ, or does it say something different? You cannot take whole phrases from the Bible and make them what you want them to say. They say what they mean and they mean what they say. Would we agree with that? They'd be like, I said I hate you, but I really meant that I loved you. It's not congruent with the rest of the Bible. Paul penned that righteousness was attained by faith alone in Romans chapter 9, verse number 30. So did Paul change the plan of salvation in Romans 10, 9 and 10 and 10, 13? Because if he did, we have a hefty contradiction on our hands. It would not be appropriate, it would not be harmonious for Paul to change the plan of salvation in three verses. It would be equally inappropriate and inconsistent for any biblical writer to change the plan of salvation for an individual person and or people group and during one dispensation. I, they, I'm not, I just want to touch on this quickly. There are some believe that in the Old Testament it, you got saved by works. During the church age you get saved by grace. And then during the tribulation period you get saved by works. I got, I'm going to go spoil it for you. It's 
been grace, grace, grace. It's always been grace. It'll always be grace. Grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's in Genesis. And the people who are delivered from the Antichrist, it will be grace, grace, grace. It's been grace. If it starts with grace and it ends with grace, and the, the Bible tells us he is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. If he's the first and he's everything in Twenton, Miss Carolyn, I'm, I'm, I declare that he, it's going to be grace all the way through. How fair would it be for God for, 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 for God to say, okay, well, uh, Caucasians get saved this way, and yellow-skinned people get saved this way, and Latino people get saved this way, and blacks get saved this way. No, 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 no. Everybody gets saved the same way. Gentiles get saved the same way the Jews do. The biblical plan of salvation has always been and always will be faith. We're, we're chugging along. Question. Did the Lord Jesus Christ, John, or Paul, outside of these three verses, Romans 10, 9, 10, 10, and 10, 13, and Paul, outside of these three alleged verses, Jesus Christ, John, and Paul, did they declare and require confession, prayer, holy living, or good works for salvation? No. John three sixteen, Whosoever believes in and lives a good life. Whosoever believes in him and does good works. Whosoever believes in him and says this prayer. Whosoever believes in him and confesses me publicly for all. Did Jesus say that? Or did he say believe? believe. believe. Y'all, y'all, I hope y'all see where I'm going. Yes, the Lord Jesus Christ, John and Paul, elsewhere in his epistles, did not require anything other than faith for salvation. So if John, G, or Jesus, John, and Paul and the other New Testament writers, if they didn't say anywhere else in Scripture that you had to do anything plus faith for salvation, then Romans 10, 9, 10, 10, and 10, 13 cannot mean it either. Right. Right. Yes. So I'm not following you, Brother Jacob. I'm not following you. I'm, I'm going to go through this quickly. Some of my favorite verses. Uh, John 1, verse 11 through 13. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. How do you become a son of God? How do you get saved? How do you be made righteous? Even to them that believe on his name. Which are born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. John three sixteen through 18. For God so loved the world. This is Jesus speaking now. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed. It didn't say because he didn't pray or he didn't confess or he didn't live or he didn't do. It says because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. John 3, 36, one of my, uh, one of my uh, uh, current favorite verses. I love it. John 3, 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Y'all seeing this? John and Jesus both spoke in John 1, John 3, and John 3 again. And all they said to do was believe. Acts 16, 30, 31. Paul's the, Paul, uh, Luke's the penman. 
Uh, but Paul, you know Paul gets credit for Acts, but Luke's the penman. And records the account of the Philippian jailer. And this is one of my, some of my favorite verses, Acts, Acts chapter 16, verse 30. And brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, if somebody's about to kill themselves, and they're asking about salvation, I think Paul would have been very clear exactly what this man should have done to be saved. Would y'all agree? He, he's about to kill himself, and he's I didn't know how to be saved. I think Paul could have took the time to say anything that needed to be done to be saved. And he said one thing. And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. It's belief. It's belief. Brother Jacob, those things are synonymous with belief. That's not true. You know that's not true. That don't make grammatic sense and that don't make theologic sense. I heard a preacher that I very much respect preach a message on the requirements of salvation. Just a month ago, I was, somebody asked me to listen to it, so I listened to it. He listed three things out of this very chapter as requirements for salvation. But there's a ginormous problem with this teaching. He preached on three requirements required for salvation. He listed three requirements. There's a big problem with that. What's the problem, Brother Jacob? Every other chapter in the Bible teaches that there's only one requirement for salvation. Every other chapter teaches that there's but one requirement for salvation, and that lone requirement is faith. Some will say, Brother Jacob, but everybody preaches and teaches salvation this way. To which I say, there are a lot of things a majority of people accept and advertise that are not That's true. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to give you all the facts. You can look this up for yourself. I may mention it more next week in detail. I don't know. I don't really want to, but if the Lord tells me to, I will. But I'm going I'm to give you a little homework assignment tonight. Go home and look up the, the words on Google, the origins of the sinner's prayer. Go just look it up. Just look it up. The origins of what this preacher preached and what most preachers preach was not preached until somewhere between the 18th and 20th century. Y'all hearing me? That wasn't until 1701 or in between 1701 and 1901. This message did not occur. Oh. Does that mean that no one got saved until sometime between 1701 and 1901. I had a young man, he was sick in New York, said he wanted to find a good uh, uh, Bible-believing King James Church, one church that was in ministry, and he said a word, key phrase, that I knew what he was looking for, and I knew right off the bat that's not what we were. And he said, I need to know how you feel about this, and I sent him a message to a preach that I preached uh, years ago now called Biblical Salvation, uh, maybe you remember, maybe you don't. If it's all right, I do. God remembers. He told me to preach it. And I preached along these lines, and he, he pretty much told me I was crazy and I was a loon, and he couldn't be part of no church like that, and that's fine because we're not going to do what you're talking about here. Right. Hey, Come on. Devar told me, if you just ease up on it, maybe you get a song leader. You get somebody to help in this area and this area. But I cannot compromise convenience for truth. Hey, I mentioned this on Sunday. I guess I'm going to mention again. We had some missionaries come, come by a couple months ago, and I did not want them to be there. Something just did not sit right with me. 
And I, I just, I'm brother, I had to make sure, I had to make sure that they, they this with the feeling they were giving me was not true. Make, make sure it was warranted. And they said, oh, no, 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 no. We believe we, we, salvation is by faith, 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 faith. And then we see him at the fair last week and they're just running people through prayers trying to get them to heaven. You say, well, it says it here in Romans 10, 13. But listen to me, listen to me well. Nowhere else in the New Testament tells anybody to confess anything or pray anything. It wasn't brought up until 1701 and 1901. And I'm getting ahead of myself here. I really think Romans 10, uh, 10, 9 and 10, 10 and 10, 13. I think there is a really big prophetic overtone that everybody just skips over. Misses. I'm almost 100% certain with Romans 10, 13, but I'm not going to go there today. Maybe next week, Lord willing. But the truth of the matter is, is this. If this is the key to heaven, if this is the path to heaven, if this is the road to heaven, why did not Jesus mention it? Why did not John mention it? Why did not Peter mention it? Why is it only mentioned here? It wasn't, wasn't invented. Does that mean nobody got saved till 1701, 1901? And if faith plus something what you do with your mouth equals salvation, does that mean no one got saved during Jesus, John, and Paul's ministries up until Romans 10, 9, 10, 10, and 10, 13 were penned? Well, of course people got saved during Jesus' ministry. Of course, people got saved during John's ministry. Of course, people got saved in Paul's ministry at the beginning of it and at the end of it. If people are still getting saved, I don't know why we get hung up here. And if so, if it is, if it is so that faith plus something you do with your mouth equals time out, I didn't write that one up. If you have to do something with your mouth to go to heaven, does that mean deaf people can't? Well, Brother Jacob, they could sign. It says your mouth. If that's what it means, Miss Ginger, that's what it means. Y'all hearing me? If it's faith plus something what you do with your mouth, then why is it not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture in relation to salvation? The explanation is rather simple. These things beyond faith for salvation are not mentioned elsewhere because they're not actually requirements for salvation. They are results salvation. If you get saved, you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you trust Him with all your heart, and you believe He's your Lord and your Savior, and He's the only thing, He's your only shot in this life, He's your only hope for eternity. If you, if you believe that with all your heart, I believe you'll have no problem at all confessing to the world, I'm one of His, and He is mine. I thought about this. It's amazing how it's worked. I love cutting grass. I love cutting grass, but I love listening listen to podcasts or preaching while I'm on, on the lawnmower. My boys can attest to that. I'm real bitter if something happens to my headphones, all right? But the truth of the matter is, is this. I can be cutting grass with the, with the handle all the way up to rabbit so it's as loud as it can go and the blades are as loud as they can be. And to hear anything on your headphones, you have to cut it all the way up. And Apple tells me every time I cut grass that I'm going to make myself go, go deaf because it's a, a prolonged ear abuse is pretty much what it says. But you know, Brother George, I can be on that lawnmower. I can be in my neighbor's yard cutting her grass, listening to Dave Ranger, listening to a preacher preach with it all the wide open, and I can hear one of my kids cry, and Miss Ginger, I still hear them. Why can I hear them? Because I'm their dad, and when they call, I come. That's the same thing with Jesus. Amen. That's good. Woo. They're not requirements, they're results. Suit, a nice suit and a long dress, they don't make you Christians. Pray and reading your Bible don't make you Christians, but if you are one of his children, I believe results will follow. You'll look like a Christian, talk like a Christian, walk like a Christian. You'll pray, you'll read your Bible. 
inadvertently or purposely taking just a single verse out of context and redefining the doctrine of soteriology, which is the doctrine of salvation, is exactly what heretics have done and will do. You say, I'm not following you, Brother Jacob. The Pentecostals deal with Acts chapter 2, verse 38. If you're not baptized with the Holy Ghost, you're not saved. What they mean is speaking tongues. That's heresy. Uh, the Church of Christ does it with Mark 16, 16. Uh, uh, about being baptized and they preach on water baptism. You don't get water baptized, you can't go to heaven. That's heresy. And many independent Baptists do this with these suspect verses in Romans 10. You've got to do this. Brother George, everywhere in the New Testament says, believe, 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 believe. That's too simple. That's the point. It's believe, believe, believe. I need more than that. I need to know. It's not about me knowing and you knowing. It's about the individual knowing. If they believe in their heart, they got a one-way ticket to heaven. Yes. It don't have to happen at an altar. It don't have, nothing has to take place with the mouth. Something's got to take place in the heart. And then the mouth will show. The life will show. The walk will show. The dress will show. Everything will result once you get salvation. Some will say this. and I'm, I think I'm getting close to being done, so y'all just bear with me just a few more minutes. I'm a fat person, so I can say this. It's like a fat person climbing through a barbed wire fence. A few more points and we'll be through. Amen? Amen. Some will surely say, but preacher, you have to teach people how to believe. Lord, help me with this, Brother George. I never thought I would use this example in, in a sermon, but I'm using it tonight. You have to teach people how to believe. My reply, do you have to teach children to believe in Santa Claus? You have to teach them how to believe in Santa Claus. You just tell them about him. You tell them what he looks like, what he wears, where he lives, what kind of animals he hangs around. And they just, Brother Thomas, you don't have to say, now you've got to believe in Comet. You've got to believe in Cupid. You've got you to confess Comet. You've got to confess Cupid. You tell them about a jolly man with a white beard and a red nose and they just believe. Now when the Bible says you've got to believe on Jesus Christ, you've got you to coach them through it, Brother Jacob. Are you serious? We okay tonight? Amen. You don't have to teach them no children. Just believe what some of the adults in their lives teach them. We throw it out. Jesus Christ was the only darling son of God. Sinless, spotless, holy, and righteous. He came and died on the cross for your sins. And he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave, defeating death, hell, and the grave. And the Bible tells if you'll believe that message in your heart, you will be saved. You got to coach them, Brother Jacob. No, we don't. No, we don't. I say this. I've only seen two people saved that I know of. Three, four people saved that I know of been saved since I've been the pastor. Baptized four. Uh, two have followed the Lord and believed in baptism. Two have not yet. But can I be honest with you? There may have been more people we've had contact with that have gotten saved. I just don't know about it yet. Because not everybody comes down to the altar and says, Not everybody does that. Brother Bill, if somebody hears the preaching that I preach and you teach and Sister Susie teach, they hear the, the truth of God's Word and they hear it and they believe it, and the Holy Ghost says, you better believe it. That's right, that's right, that's right. And they believe it in their heart. Yep. Brother George, according to God's Word, they're saved. Yes, they're saved. Yes, sir. Is all right, I'm almost done. 
An individual has to be exposed to God's Word through the stirring of the Holy Spirit. They have to willingly and personally believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in their hearts. I've done that, but I cannot teach that. Right. Amen. We had a conversation with boys the other day. There's a lot of words that are used and try to be used interchangeably and synonymously. And I'll clarify what words we use synonymously and which words we don't. Faith, believe, and trust, those can be used synonymously. But trying to throw any other verb in there as synonymous with those threes is not doing the Word of God justice. Recently, the boys and I were discussing how God paints pictures for us in His words. Truths built, themes broadened on each page. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You get a glimpse of God from Sister Judy and He's glorious. You get another glimpse. He's majestic. You get He's holy. He, and God just built. We were talking about that. And one of the boys likened those, the, these uh, a painting of the picture. And one of them likened it to clues. Weeks pass. And one of the boys asked me the clues about being saved. And I'll tell you exactly what I told him. They're not really clues about that. The Bible says believe, so that's all you got to do. Y'all all right? It said believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So that's what I told my son. Zuh. Believe, believe, believe. That's what the Bible teaches and that's what I'm going to stick with. Amen. That man named Doug who wanted to join our church or come be a part of ministry, but said he couldn't, he couldn't come because I wouldn't allow him to do things his way, the way he had been taught. All I wanted to do is for him to try to do it the way God taught. That's right. And I know I was taught the same exact way. And I, 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 Brother George, it makes me sick how many times I've been in service as a kid preacher. I said, Brother Jacob, come pray with this person. Lead them to God. And I said, well, you, and I, I had been taught, you just say this prayer, you go to heaven. You say this prayer, you go to heaven. If they are trusting in the prayer that I coached them to pray, they are on their way to hell. But if their faith's in Jesus Christ, they're saved. Amen. It's faith. Y'all, y'all hear me tonight. Yes, sir. Um, I gotta hurry. I don't even know what time it is. It's right at eight o'clock. Y'all got five minutes in, in you? Amen. We must remember that Romans 9, 10, and 11 are national in division, meaning they primarily address Israel. And Paul has thus far mentioned and incorporated several prophecies in these chapters. It would not be wise for us to bypass the prophetic notes that Paul, by inspiration, used to convey the truth that God wanted in these epistles. Sister Kathy, we've gone through and we've picked up Isaiah's prophecy, we've picked up Hosea's prophecy, we've picked up another Hosea's prophecy, picked up another Isaiah. We've picked up all these prophetic utterances throughout Romans 9 and 10. It would be goofy if we skipped over it now. Would you agree? It would be real goofy for us to do that because I think God was doing something. And I think He wanted us to see something. So, uh, we're not going to skip over it now. Could not this once again point to the Jews at the end of Jacob's trouble, which is culminated with the second coming of Jesus Christ and the subsequent battle of Armageddon? I would say without a doubt. For example, Romans 10.13 and Joel 2.32, they're almost identical. Almost identical, Brother George. Calling upon the name of the Lord. And it's been changed around what that means, but... Joel 2 paints a picture is that the nation of Israel, a third part is going to survive, Brother George, and they're going to be and the, with their backs up against the wall and the Antichrist is coming to eradicate the nation of Israel. And they're going to say, Messiah! Messiah! Lord! 
Jesus! And as soon as they say Jesus, boom, here he comes on that white horse and he's coming to kick some tail and take some nuts. Y'all hear me tonight? Romans 10, 13, Joel 2, 32. I mean, you're looking for yourself. But these two verses, Romans 2, Romans 10, 13, Joel 2, 32, they're absolutely connected. Is it equally possible that Romans 10, 9 and Zechariah 13, 9 are also linked? I would say yes. This pattern has been numerous times throughout this section. So look, let's look at me, you will. Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You'll see that confession in there. It, it sounds eerily similar to Zechariah 13, 9. And I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and, they, and, and I will try them as gold is tried. That's talking about tri- the tribulation. Yes, sir. They shall call on my name and I will hear them. I will say, it is my people. Notice God said, it is my people first. Mm -hmm. And they shall say, the Lord is my God. I don't know. It just sounds similar to me. Something to think about. Let me close with this about verse 11 and I'm done. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Y'all see it's belief again. Mm -hmm. Y'all see that? Uh, It's it's pretty awesome. Uh, Chapter 9 ends with that phrase, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. And uh, chapter 10, verse 11 ends with, Whosoever shall believe in him shall not be ashamed. Both are quotations of Isaiah 28, 16. I'm going to give you some statements about the results of salvation. Verse 11 focuses on the end of verse 10. And with, mouth, with, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If one believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, the results will follow. Fruit will be produced. And more ways than one. Once your faith's in Him, you will have no problem claiming or owning Him. Once your faith is in Him, you will have the ability to call on Him. And like we could all say, help me, Lord. I close. Faith, belief, that results in salvation. Confession. Prayer, clean living, good works, they result from salvation. Faith produces salvation. All those things I just listed are products of salvation. So I'm not sure, Brother Jacob, read John's words. Read Jesus' words. Read Paul's words. I didn't read it tonight, but Romans 4, 24 and 25 it's talking about the imputed righteousness of God. And remember how he said you got that imputed righteousness of God to them that believed on his name. How do you get it? Belief. Belief. It's belief. Tonight, if you're here and you're lost, you're not saved, and you want to be saved, you know about you know you need to be saved. God's revealed to you that you're a sinner. You can be saved. I don't got to coach you through anything. The Bible says. I'll give you a perfect example. Acts 16.30. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Preacher, what do I got to do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Brother Ed, it's that simple. No, you got to do this, this, this. No, you don't. I got 90 verses to prove that it's belief and people use three verses out of context to prove that you got to do other stuff to be saved. 
To do that is no different. I know people have done it inadvertently. Some have done it purposely. But nonetheless, they use those three verses and they try to redefine the Bible, redefine words, change meanings of words, change the doctrine of God. But Jesus said, believe. John said, believe. Paul said, believe. So you know what I'm going to preach? Believe. Believe. If you're lost tonight, God showed you're a sinner and you recognize He's the ultimate Savior, you'll believe that in your heart. According to God's Word, you are saved. I'm done tonight.